Live from the Tech Talk Studios hey. in the nation's capital and the heartland of America. It's Tech Talk. Well, it's Friday, and if you're one of our fans, it's your favorite time of the week. It's time for Tech Talk. I'm Brad Koss, my co-host. Man, the one and only, the buzzsaw of the lumber mill, Dr. Jay Greenstein, the data doc talk. Jay, buddy, we got a great guest today, but are you doing well? I'm doing great, man. It's Friday, and we're doing another show of uh, Tech Talk, and we got an amazing guest who we... Uh, we both love and respect, and I just can't wait to get to this conversation, man. Dude, let's get right into it. He's a, he's a friend of ours. He's been on Tech Talk before, but we're bringing him back. He's been been in demand and, and requested to do that, so he's coming back today. Why don't you introduce our friend? It'd be my pleasure. So today we have the one and only Dr. Ray Foxworth. Now, he's got many titles. He's got uh, many positions in chiropractic which I will let him share himself. But one thing I know about this man, he is a mentor for me. He is someone who sets the example and the bar really high for what it's like to be a tremendous human being. So while he's a great person in this profession and a chiropractor, he's an even better person. And I'm so excited to have you here, Ray. So welcome once again, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Does, and, this, mean, uh, does this mean I'm a repeat offender? Yes, you're a repeat <laughs> offender. <laughs> I know. And and just in case someone has their head completely up their butt and they have no idea who you are, mm-hmm. do me a favor, just just share your background, some of the some of the positions that you hold, you know, the volunteer and advocacy positions that you hold, sure. and certainly, you know, what you're doing in the in the profession. Well, um I guess I've kind of become uh known as a guy who can't say no. <laughs> um I'm I'm currently the chairman of the Chiropractic Summit. Uh which is a consortium of, of all the major organizations uh, in the profession. I also currently serve on the executive committee for the Foundation for Chiropractic Progress. And I'm, I'm uh, very proud to serve as a board of trustees member for the Cleveland, Chir- uh, Cleveland University, uh, the good Dr. Carl Cleveland. Um, and also I am a, um, on the leadership or the at-large member of the uh, leadership team for chiropracticfuture.org 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 go there sign up donate (laughs) participate we need your help you'll hear more about that uh, a little later and ray you also obviously run companies in chiropractic i just i forgot that part yeah so don't forget about that part it's kind of important oh yeah uh yeah, so I'm, I'm the uh, president, CEO, founder. It's all my fault for uh, starting Cairo Health USA. And we are a, yeah. we are a, a, a network of uh, almost 5,000 practices now um, wow. that work in conjunction with a discount medical plan. And the whole idea behind that was to keep care affordable for our patients that don't have insurance coverage or have limited benefits without uh, and and doing it through what's called the discount medical plan which is regulated by the department of insurance in most states and allows us to offer contractual network discounts to our patients and not have to worry about all the conflicting rules and regulations from your board of examiners department of insurance your provider agreements the oig and the mac daddy of them all the 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 uh, medicare and oig so um it just kind of pardon my french makes all that bullshit go away 
If you have a contractual network discount, it's why Aetna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield all pay us a different fee, and it's perfectly legal. Well, now you can do that for your cash, underinsured, limited benefit patients. And um, other than that, that's about it. So you also have, but you also have Cairo Armor, right? Uh, Cairo oh, yeah. Armor is a great new company. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a customer of all these companies, yeah, right? Yeah, so well, I, I gotta, I gotta let, make sure people know about this. My stuff. mom told, taught me always never toot your horn. So, yeah, as part of the process of uh, Cairo Health USA, you know what we began to realize is that. Um, Getting your fee schedules right in your practice is certainly important in your financial policies. Uh, a lot of doctors have <laughs> probably aren't aware of this, but you know the most common complaint to a state board of chiropractic examiners is not over your clinical care, it's over dollars and cents. I mean, you can save a person from back surgery, you let their bill be off by 50 cents and you go from hero to heathen, <laughs> I mean, just, just that quick. Um, and so as, as, as doctors began to rely on us to help clean up their financial policies, then, you know, the next evolution was, well, they also need help in other areas of their practice. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate to have a partner, Dr. Scott Munsterman and Dr. Steve Conway, who's a, an attorney and a DC that are, in, that are involved in this. And it was really just out of a request from some of our current clients to try to help them with the other uh, pieces of, of compliance in their office beside the financial policy and you know what we found Jay is as I'm sure what you have found and, and yourself as well Brad there are some things that we need to do in our practice ourselves and there are some things that we need to get the hell out of our practice and in my mind one of those things are things that take us away from focusing on patient care focusing on generating revenue focusing on doing a good job of the patients nothing about compliance is positive it has an emotional toll. And if you're in your office and you're spending time dotting I's and crossing and T's, doing compliance and all that stuff, those are times that you are not generating revenue. And you got these two hands, you got your practice. And, you know, just like the surgeons in the building I used to be in at the at New South Neurospine, they aren't generating revenue if they're not in the surgical suite. You don't see yeah. them doing their own billing and their coding and their chart reviews. They've got paraprofessionals around them to do that. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, our profession just hadn't matured to the level uh, to where the average practitioner has the ability to go out and hire those folks. So don't go hire them. Outsource it just like you might outsource your billing and sleep well at night. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a bit of lunacy that, that we do. Compliance is very complex. So what do we do? We take one of our CAs who is already overworked, overburdened, hopefully can spell compliance, and now they're the compliance officer. <laughs> so think about it. If you if you get audited down the line, who 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 do you have as your compliance officer? Sally CA, who is great with patients and great on the front desk, but the reality is their expertise really isn't compliance. Yeah, you can train them up, no doubt about that. They have capabilities, but I know if I got in trouble, I want someone as a compliance officer that that's all they do. Because when you're dealing yeah. with a compliance complaint, there's usually dollars and cents and fines and penalties involved if you get audited and you have a problem. And I'm sorry, you know, I mean, do you, do you want to go buy insurance from Aetna or Cigna or from Fred's insurance company at 250 Catherine Drive in Flowood, Mississippi. 
I mean, well, actually, I hate Aetna and I hate Cigna, so I'll take France, please. All right, so let me think of an insurance company you like. Oh, wait, I can't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Ray, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you back is, you know, uh, we were just in Flowood, Mississippi for the Chiropractic Future Leadership Team meeting, kind of our quarterly planning session, Who if you will. that? I know, right? We can talk about that a little bit later because that's just a great a great step forward for us as a leadership team, but also for the profession at large. And you, you kicked it off. And um, I, was, I was moved by the presentation and the commentary that you made. And I just really wanted you to share this chiropractic, this rich chiropractic history that you have. Um, share that story with the audience because I think it was incredibly powerful, please. Yep. You've been listening to Tech Talk. We're going to take a quick break. We've got Dr. Ray Foxworth with us, my co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein. I'm Brad Cost. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. As a Cairo Health USA provider, we're excited to work with you to identify which of your discounts are good, bad, or illegal. Most chiropractors bend over backwards to make their care affordable. Unfortunately, dual fee schedules, false claims, inducement violations, and time of service discounts can all put you at risk. And no offense, everybody's doing it doesn't work with auditors. At Chiro Health USA, we're here to help protect and grow your practice. Just listen to our provider stats. 20% overall practice growth versus 2019. Over 50% of CHUSA patients renew their membership year after year. Over 2,500 patients per month use our provider's search directory to find a CHUSA provider. At Cairo Health USA, our purpose is simple. It's to improve the quality of life for our doctors, their teams, and their patients. With over 5,000 providers and nearly a million patients, Cairo Health USA is the network that works for chiropractic. For more information, call 888 888- 719-9990 or visit www.chirohealthusa.com. Welcome to Infinity. We have worked hard to create an electronic claims website that is simple and user-friendly. This is the public side. You can log into your personal web portal here. This is your dashboard. You can personalize it to your liking here. Our main focus has been to allow you to submit and edit claims as easy as possible. You will find our claims editor and claims processing is simple to use and straightforward. Our quick action bar is where you can find your most important information. Most of these icons will take you directly to the claims the number represents. You can easily view if you have any messages in your inbox of any unread alerts by looking for these blue numbers. To view the rest of our training videos to get the most of your Infinity experience, click this icon. We hope you find this web portal simple and easy to use. Thanks for letting us serve you. Stop. Follow. 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 Hit that follow button and spread the love with Tech Talk. Well, welcome back. We got a great guest today, Dr. Ray Foxworth. You know, Jay, Jay hogged that whole last segment. I didn't get a chance to say too much. But I wanted to say some things because I've been in, more involved in leadership in some of the other national roles. Roles and Ray has just like popped up everywhere that I turn. I hear his name often, and Ray, 
I just think what you're doing for the profession is an amazing thing. Uh, it takes leaders like you to really change the profession. You were just talking about <clears throat> a few minutes ago where we were talking about providers doing everything in their office and compliance and things. We've got a lot of guests on lately that have been saying that exact same thing. Providers have get uh, got to get out of the office and doing those kind of things to get back to just treating patients, hire the other things done, find the specialist, uh, grow your practice in a totally different way. That's a hard thing to do for chiropractors, I think. But it's with leadership like yours that is changing. We're definitely seeing, I've, I've been involved in chiropractic for 22 years now. We're definitely seeing things the last four or five years that I've never seen before. We're, we're seeing uh, chiros take leadership roles I've, I've never seen them do before. We've take and seen all these businesses popping up telling chiros how to do better business. You know, just practice, take care of the patient. There are all these other experts out there to help you do your business in a great way. And I just wanted to say from my level where I see things not being a Cairo, you're a great leader, amazing leader, and you're doing great things for this profession. Well, I've learned a lot of things not to do along the way, Brad, which is usually the best teacher. You know, the most influential people in your life are usually the people who show you what to do, but you also learn, in my experience, I learned the best lessons from people who show me what not to do. And while I'm right. so right. grateful for my parents, they were both chiropractors who practiced together and they showed me a lot of what not to do, how not to have a life, how not to have a pro- pro- uh, prosperous practice by trying to do everything themselves. And, you know, I, I have been on this bandwagon for a long time that, um, you know, I can remember going to Parker when I'm like this tall with my parents and, you know, the mantra of just take care of the patients and the money will take care of itself. Well, it's bullshit. No, it won't take care of itself. Right. You you better have financial policies. You better know what your collections are. You got to know what your numbers are. Um, and you know, let's face it, going through school, we learn an awful lot. But there's just not time to learn the business side. And I don't care how good you are at what you do. If you don't generate enough revenue, if there is no money, you have no mission. You simply cannot fulfill it. And so I'm glad to see, uh, and we are seeing more of that, um, that, that people are, or chiropractors are beginning to think of their practices not just as their calling, but as their business. And the number one job of a business is to create revenue and wealth. Because, and, and again, this is not about focusing on the money, but if you don't focus on that, how in the world can you have the impact that you intend to have on your community or your family for the things that you care about? I mean, it, it is, uh, we, we better pay attention to it. And, and, and again, getting back to what, to what I mentioned a moment ago, there's this thing called the highest and best use of your time. And when you're in a chiropractic practice and you're doing anything but adjusting patients, in other words, if you're filling out narrative reports and, and all that stuff and you're doing your own billing and doing your own uh, you know, claims review, and you're costing yourself money. And we get, we get into this struggle of, well, I can't afford to hire someone, and I want to shake them and say, no, you can't afford not, not to hire someone. That is your blockage. That's your capacity blockage. And just like if you had two parking spaces and you wanted to get to 100 patients a day, it's not going to happen. You've got a capacity blockage. Well, the same thing happens in your office with all these other things that are non-clinical things that we, t- we spend our time doing 
that don't generate revenue, it's the reason you can't expand. It's the reason you can't grow. So those are investments. Those are not expenses. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so glad, Ray, that you mentioned your folks because I think I really wanted to touch on this. And one of the reasons why I'm super excited to have you back is at the beginning of the future, chiropractic future um, leadership meeting that we had in Flowood, Mississippi, God, it was about a month ago, I guess now, you kicked us off and you and you told a great story about your mom and you, sh- you showed us a an old newspaper clipping that was framed. I brought it. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, that's so great. That's so, Dr. Dr. Betty Rose Matthews. <laughs> so, do me a favor, share that story with the audience, please. Sure. Well, um, my mom was a single mother working for a chiropractor in Florence, uh, South Carolina, when she and my dad split and. Uh, the only job my mom ever had was as either a chiropractic assistant or as a chiropractor. She never worked anywhere else. And so anyway, after the divorce, she packs up and moves to Indianapolis, Indiana, um, went to Bebout Chiropractic College. Bebout was later absorbed by, I think, Lincoln or National. Um, and as I jokingly tell people, I started chiropractic college in 1965, and I graduated in 1985. I'm not a slow learner, <laughs> uh, but my mom was a vet tech during the day, and she went to chiropractic college at night and didn't have a sitter, and so guess where I sit every night for the whole time she's in school. So fast forward, I, I eventually did get my degree from Cleveland uh, Chiropractic College in, in Kansas City, but, you know, I, and Jay, I never, ever, as I got older, I never, ever really thought about going to chiropractic college because that's just what my parents did. And um, it it really never crossed my mind until I happened to go to a a, um, a seminar where the late Dr. Uh, Sig Miller spoke, and it just clicked. And <laughs> I, it's really a funny story. So I, I, I attended this, and my parents said, "Well, what do you think about it?" And I said, "Well, I'm not really sure yet." Well, the next week I go over to their house, and I said. I've decided I'm going to chiropractic college. And my dad says, well, have you thought about it long? I said, yeah, a whole damn week. Well, have you thought about any money? And I opened my wallet and I said, I got 14 bucks. <laughs> Two weeks later, I'm in my uh, Datsun B210 with my wife and my son, and I'm headed up to Kansas City. And I never looked wow. back. It just That's was, great. It just, I guess what I did is I found everything else I didn't want to do the rest of my life. And then, as, as as many of us say, I don't know that I chose it as much as it chose me. And I never really looked at that time that I spent in those classes at night with Dr. Bebout and my mom and a couple of other students that they had. She was the last class that went through there. And, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe it laid some roots there that, that just took a few years to come up. So, yeah, very interesting. And then in practice, the thing that I showed that I shared with everyone. I don't know if if the people at home can see this, but this was a a flyer that they put together, and I still remember the smell of the mimograph machine. Remember the ink? Yeah. Because we ran these off in our little shop, okay? (laughs) So they didn't know anything. See, I told you they didn't know anything about outsourcing. They didn't know there were things called (laughs) printers back then. (laughs) But but anyway, what what I shared with, with everyone was it's interesting to see how even back in 1967, um, chiropractors bent over backwards to try to help people afford care. And I just want to read to you what's on here. 
says, we have the chiropractic care honor system. These are really impactful words, Jay. It says, health is priceless. Therefore, we cannot charge you what it's actually worth. At this office, you have the privilege of setting your own fee according to your income and ability to pay. Six reasons we have this system. No two people have the same ability to pay the same amount. No two people receive the same amount of health. No two people show the same amount of appreciation. Health cannot be bought, therefore it cannot be sold. We feel that this system will enable more people to have their common birthright, health. Now everyone can afford health under chiropractic care. And so just think about what I'm doing these days with Cairo Health USA, trying to keep care affordable. And I never really realized that that was kind of in my bloodstream from 1967. Now, yeah. here's the other thing they taught me not to do. Don't ever use the honor system because people, <laughs> people will, will take what you think is money and put in there, but they have this sleight of hand where they put in the candy wrappers and the peppermint wrappers. So my job at the end of the day was to go around to all the boxes, pull out the pocket lint, hopefully a couple of bucks. (laughs) Um, So great intention. The idea of take care of the patient, the money will take care of itself. As I said earlier, Mm -hmm. I'll call BS on that because while you can't value healthcare, it must have a value to be in equal exchange with people. And while it was a, it was a great effort to try to help people, and, and let me point this out, I never missed a meal. Our family, you know, they didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot growing up. Um, Jay, I don't know if when you were here, but I, I, I showed a table that I have in my office. It's literally from the Army Navy store. That was our kitchen table, and we had four wooden hmm. boxes around it. That's wow. what the honor system will give you. So, <laughs> when things got really good, we got six boxes around. <clears throat> so anyway, just um, fu- funny how things that happened to you earlier in your life, you re- you really don't realize how they will ever come back around, um, but, but they do. With the exception of all that algebra they told me to take, they said I would need that at some point. <laughs> I haven't yet. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, you know, Ray, that's true about everything. Our, our parents form how we are as adults. I, you know, every day I think about my dad. My dad died when I was 13, and I thought, man, I missed out a lot. And I did, having him around, but probably taking over his responsibilities at the age of 13, I grew up really fast. And I grew up to respect people, love people. And help people. I all of a sudden had to take care of three or four little old widow ladies on the neighborhood that my dad always made sure their water was running and their faucets sure. worked, their toilets flushed. And I took those over as a 13-year-old boy. And it taught me that people need help sometimes. And I've, especially my, this latter part of my life, I've really tried to mode myself into being that person that goes out and helps, irregardless yes. of what it is, just to do it. And my guess is, and I don't know Jay's parents, uh, other than what I've seen him interact with them, Jay was raised exactly the same way. He was raised to help people, uh, to be good to people, and I bet your dad was that kind of a man, Jay. He was. He set an amazing example for me. I'll never forget I was staying over at my parents' friend's house because my parents had gone out of town on vacation, and you know we would go to the parents' friends all the time. It was interchangeable families. 
And the the older gentleman who was the father of that family, his name was Milton Abrams, and he came home and he said, you know, I just had a meeting and we were talking about your dad. And I said, yeah? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. He's like, your dad has a remarkable reputation. Your dad has a remarkable reputation for being an honest, good human being. And like that has lived with me ever since. Like I'll never forget like literally where I was in their house when I heard him say that to me. And that left to like a an incredible, you know, indelible mark for me. Like I needed to live up to that to that example. Uh, because, you know, Absolutely. I have so much respect for my dad. A lot to be said about being a servant leader. Yeah. Amen. And care and care practice seems to me like yeah, more generational uh, carryover of business than any other business. I mean, I know it happens in other businesses, but man, think of all the guests we've had, Jay. That oh, my dad was a Cairo, my mom was a Cairo, or you know, my uncle was. Or the other thing I found is, you know, I had a injury in high school at a football game, and nobody could help me, and I went to the Cairo just out of desperation. And you know what? I decided I wanted to become a Cairo. Yeah. I think that's those are amazing stories, and it tells you a little bit more than it is a love. It is a passion of what you're doing. But Ray's very right. Everything, especially today, you have to treat it as a business. You have to be a part of it. You have to understand P&L. I was thinking about P&L. I used to teach uh, business at FCA, and I, I would try to teach them a little bit about finances, Ray, and, and P&L. A lot of them would raise their hand, I don't know what you're talking about. That's you a longitudinal ligament. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. Oh, or, you know, their their accounting system meant, hey, I got money in the bank at the end of the month. I must be making money. Yeah. You just can't run a business that way today. And we had a guest the other day talking about your business as an exit strategy. That has to be part of the plan because ultimately you're going to get out of business, whether you die away from your business, you sell your business, or you give your business to your kids. It's still a business. That's still a yep. transaction, and you got to plan for that because you can't wait the week before you do it. I've often said that, unfortunately, and uh, I'll be six, 66 this year, and so I'm starting to see some of my colleagues that were a little older uh, and, and my age starting to retire and make that transition. Um, and, and, again, just a very personal and raw story. Um, my parents helped a lot of people, but they didn't prepare well. And thank God I've been in a position up until my mom passed. My dad's still with us. He'll be 90 this year. Um, I'm in a position to help them. And it wasn't because they were bad people or they didn't think about it. It's just all of a sudden they got there. And uh, it is so, it's painful to me to see doctors in their 70s and 80s and 85 practicing because they have to, not mm -hmm. because they want to or need to. And then let's face it, for a lot of them, the exit strategy is a pine box. Yeah. And yeah. what a pity to have worked all your life, not learned how to save and plan properly to where you get to the end of your life or you get to the end of your career and you say, man, I, I really need to sell my practice. Well, what's typically happened to a practice when you're 75, 80, 90? It's not in a growth mode. It's in a decline mode. And, you know, even if it were in a growth mode, if you've got a million-dollar practice or a $500,000 practice, who's going to buy it? Somebody coming out yeah. of school with a quarter of a million dollars worth of debt? So yeah. uh, that's something we've got to do a better job of, and, and as part of the future of chiropractic task force, that thing, those are things that are near and dear to my heart that we, we you know, 
just look around us. Neurosurgeons, orthopedics, CPAs, lawyers, every other group. You have doctors that graduate, come into the business. After a few years, they can buy into the business. The guys that are about to exit, they actually own stock in the company, so they can sell their stock. That's their exit strategy. And what do we do? We all go up and open islands, and, you know, there's... You know, we got to have six different x-rays. we got to have 12 different front desks. You know, all, all of the things that, quite frankly, that's what I think is possibly robbing the profession of its wealth is we've always been taught from day one in chiropractic college, do your own exams, do your own x-rays. Do you know, We don't collaborate. You know, we only talk to ourselves, and we don't get outside of that, and we don't, we don't look around us and learn from people that have been doing this for, for a, probably a couple of hundred years. And so ho hopefully, if we were to fast forward 25 years, it becomes the norm that you have a group of chiropractors that are together. Um, man, I miss my kids growing up. I was busting my chops trying to trying to make ends meet, and, and um, you know, I, I regret it to this day. Um, you know, I, I, I try to make up for it. I take them on all our vacations and stuff. love them, but, but damn it, man, I'll never get that back. And yeah. so when I hired Drew and Neely that uh, – Drew – uh, ultimately, I uh, bought my practice. He was with me for 11 years, Neely for eight. And that was one of the things I promised them. You come to work here, you are going to have a life. I insist that you take time off. You go to your kid's stuff. Nothing is more important to that. Maybe I overcompensated for it, but I don't think I did because that's also what they're doing for their employees. You know? Yeah. COVID taught us an awful lot. Don't wait. That's exactly yeah. right. Lean in. Be there. Hey, guys, we need to, uh, we're running a little long here. We need to take another break. So while we're at break, listening to our sponsors, get on the phone. Call your mom and dad. Tell them that you love them. We'll be right back. Starting your weekend outright with the data jocks of talk. It's TikTok. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Jay Greenstein. This is Jay Greenstein. With me today is Dr. Jay Greenstein. Dr. Jay Greenstein. The world around us and healthcare specifically is changing at an exponential pace. Chiropractic is perfectly positioned. Like we have never been right now today to be more successful and to be more impactful for the communities and patients that we serve. There are all sorts of evidence-based guidelines that, that support the use of non-pharmacological approaches. But what I want America to know is that health doesn't come from a pill. It's our responsibility as healthcare providers to educate the community about the evidence that exists. We really need to have a private practice app, something that will help us engage with our patients in ways that they've never experienced before. The intersection of technology and quality care is where the future of healthcare is at, and I'm really excited to bring that forward in the future. And now to a tragic news story. We just learned that a chiropractor recently called his EHR company for help after being forced into yet another platform transition. And the wait times were so egregious, the doctor died while on hold. Our sources tell us he was put on hold for over 176 hours. Apparently, the staff had left early to take advantage of all the extra fees they charge. Ever wonder where all those nickels and dimes go? Don't let this happen to you. PayDC offers its all-inclusive software for one low monthly fee, 
backed by a team that both respects and empowers chiropractors and their staff. Sign up for a free software demo below and see how Rebels do EHR. Your weekly dose of talk. Get, get ready with the data jocks of talk. What's up, everybody? It's Dr. J here. I'm with two of my very close friends, people I love and admire so much, Mr. Brad Koss and Dr. Ray Foxworth. So we are having a great conversation. We're really learning about the past, the present, and, and the future of chiropractic. But, Ray, you, you brought another artifact with you into that meeting in Flowood, Mississippi, where the leadership team was meeting on Chiropractic Future, which again, we use Chiropractic Future and Future of Chiropractic Strategic Plan Task Force interchangeably. Um, but share with the audience what that book is. Sure. Well, I wish I had it with me, but I, I actually gave my, my most recent copy to Dr. Lou Sportelli at his Lifetime Achievement Award. And for awesome. those of you that don't know, this book, Contain and Eliminate, was written by Dr. Sportelli and uh, Howard Walensky. And it is about the history of the chiropractic profession and how there was an attempt to contain and eliminate it. Um, and, you know, a lot of the younger docs, we hear about that, but did it really happen? Was it, was it really that bad? So let me share a little personal history with you. In 1994, I was elected to the Mississippi State Board of Health, the first chiropractor ever put on the State Board of Health, and all hell broke loose. Um, well, fast forward, I earned some respect. I was ended up on that board serving under two different governors for 12 years, and my last two years were as chairman of the Mississippi State Board of Health, which had never awesome. happened. Um, and when I went to rotate off the board, the, the then state health officer called me in, and he said, Ray, he says, I have something I think you might like to have, a little piece of history. And he gave me this spiral-bound book that was from 1939. It was from J.W. Underwood, whose name is still on the Department of Health's building. And it was mm. a letter to all the eight district health officers in the state. And the letter basically said, I have for a long time wanted to know how many chiropractors are practicing in our state, where they live, where their offices are, copies of their ads, their business cards, and any of their advertising. Well, why do you think he might have wanted that? Well, Turn around these people and put them in jail. Well, that's kind of what happened in Louisiana, the, the state right before us. And, there, and, and I shared this book with, with Dr. Sportelli, and, and I highlighted one of the letters. Um, this is, you know, Dr. Underwood, we've had chiropractors come and go in this area for a number of years. The most recent guy is now in Grenada, Mississippi. He said, these people are like infectious diseases who travel from town to town, exposing people to their message, and often leave shortly before their guarantee runs out. Mm. And you read that, and you think, my God, that is where we were. It took 72 years, 72 years from the time the first chiropractor was in Mississippi before we got a license. Mm. 1974, the year I graduated high school. My mom and dad, when they came to practice here, there was no insurance, there was no workers' comp, there was no PI. 
It was all cash. You know, you want to talk about a cash practice? They had one. Yeah. It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, they, they don't suck. I, I, that's painting it with a broad brush. But you had no other choice. And, you know, to realize that where we were um, in 39 and then even in 74, and I didn't come to the state until 1985, and, you know, I had experienced what my parents did. They wouldn't let them join the country club. They wouldn't let them be in the Rotary. I mean, Mm. so all of that stuff was very, very real. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, when I came to the state, I couldn't even get records released from MDs and hospitals, and it pissed me off bad, and I have it to this day. I, I, in case you can't tell, I tend to keep stuff. <laughs> I'm not a hoarder, but I keep stuff that's important to me. And I had on my goals in 1985 when I opened my practice, I still have the list, that I wanted to change the perception of chiropractic in my state. Well, fast forward from 85 to 94, I was involved in a lot of things politically. I would literally leave patients on the adjusting table to go down and testify at, you know, at the legislature. And fast forward, you get elected to the Department of Health. You get to start the VA Medical Center program. You get invited by 13 MDs to be part of a spine center. That didn't happen by chance. That happened because I was pissed off. And it, and, and it bothered me to see folks like my parents who helped so many people being treated that way. And I really think that combined with, with, with one other story with my mom, and, and I'll, I'll share this with you. It's emotional to me. I'll, I'll try not to tear up, but, you know, it's, it's a damn part of what drives me to help chiropractors be successful was living in that back of the house with my mom and my two sisters and here, and we're in the same room. We slept in the same room at night and hear my mom crying. And my sister mm-hmm. Nancy says, mom, what's wrong? And she says, honey, I'm down to my last 37 cents, and I don't know where the next new patient's coming from. Mm. Man, um, if, if, if that doesn't get you and, and you think, you know, here a single mom is trying to raise her kids, got into a profession to help people, and is having a struggle like that, I think that's part of what drives me to help elevate our profession to where that never, ever, ever happens again to someone who decides they want to be a chiropractor. So that that's right. that's the real, that's the raw. Right. I love that story. And you know, I think what's important and what I want the audience to take home from all of that is that you could have had uh, external locus of control. You could have blamed the universe, blamed the world, but what you did, Ray, is you took responsible and I'll call it relationship action. You figured out how to build relationships so that you could create change. And it's that action that you took that created the change. And I just want to make sure that point is not lost on the audience. Yeah, I, I, when, when that occurred, when I went into practice, I literally wrote an 11-page, this was on the heels of the Wilk case settling where all of those organizations in the medical world had to put in their journals that their profession had been found guilty of violating Sherman Antitrust Act. And <clears throat> once that settled, I wrote this 11-page letter, put it in a FedEx envelope, mailed it to 350 MDs in and around this area where University Medical Center is, that <clears throat> here's who I said, I remember, he said, you're probably wondering why you're getting an 11-page FedEx envelope from a chiropractor. I want you to know who I am, what my background is, what my training is, what we can treat, when you should consider referring, and when to never refer to a chiropractor. And, oh, by the way, here are the position statements from your organization saying it's no longer unethical to, to associate with a chiropractor. 
The next day, I get a call from two different MDs. One of them, I don't know who the hell you think you are, but t- you know, don't you ever send me anything again? I said, okay, you don't get a Christmas card. <laughs> and, and, yeah. but, but here's the most important thing. I also got a call from one of the orthopedic surgeons at River Oaks Hospital saying, you know, we have a lot of patients that see chiropractors. I don't really know what you do. No one, no one has ever reached out to me would you consider coming and talking to our orthopedics? And I went, oh, shit. Because, <laughs> you know, in our brains, we don't know what they know. Well, guess what right. they don't know? They don't know what we know. So right. I tend to prepare things. I go to the University of Medi- Mississippi Medical Center Library, where home of Arthur C. Guyton. You probably remember that traumatic name. Mm-hmm. And I go, and there's a book from Syriax, there's a book from Travell, all the people that do manual in, in, in their world. And, Jay, when I opened the book, guess what I found? First of all, guess what I heard? Crack. Exactly. And inside were library cards where they actually used to, you know, check out books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess how many signatures were on them? Zero. One. <laughs> so it's like... You know, we can we can sit back and beat up the medical profession for not understanding what we do, but as long as we do that, they have ownership of change. Yeah. And to me it's like this is my fault. This is my profession's fault. We've spent so much time looking inward and talking about how they treat us. Damn it, I'm not going to settle for that anymore. I'm going to go open some doors and literally in about 6 months time I'd lectured at River Oaks Hospital. I lectured to the neurosurgery residents at University Medical Center, along with Dr. Vora, one of my physical medicine friends. Lectured to the uh, nurse practitioners at the VA Medical Center. I mean, it just, it started cascading. And why, why did it happen? Because I took the time and, and, and I could not leave it up to them and wait on them to understand what we do. And, you know, I don't know whether it's a you know an inferiority complex that a lot of us had, and I will tell you, it scared the bejeebers out of me. It, it was uncomfortable. Um, sure. But my daughter gave me a pen about three years ago when I spoke before over a thousand people, and it said, "Life begins at the end of your comfort zone." And Love it. In retrospect, that's exactly when my practice and my life and things started changing. As I got up, got off my ass, got out there, put myself in uncomfortable situations. And again, I don't, and I don't think it was all just because of the drive for me, but having lived through and seen what my mom and my dad went through, and it's not okay. Yeah, great yeah. stuff. That is great, right? You know, light is the best disinfectant that there is out there. You, you, shining a light on something, and I have sort of the same story. I. I really got involved with chiropractic because of a gentleman in Oklahoma. They had an IPA, one of the first IPAs. Didn't even know what that was. We had we were sitting on this data. We didn't know what to do with the data. Yeah. And uh, what were we going to do? And they had been using a graduate student at the University of Oklahoma to do their analytics. And the guy was graduating. And he came to me and said, hey, uh, can you do this? And I said, well, absolutely we can, and we probably can make it much better. And we did that. Before long, Nebraska came to us and said, hey, I see what you're doing for Oklahoma. We're about to lose a huge deal with our local Blue Cross Blue Shield because they can't continue reports. What can you do to help us? I said, well, an expanded version of this. And that turned into amazing 
databases of collecting chiropractic records. And um, then Jay and I met. And over time, uh, we sort of became the data guys. And I thought, I have a great passion because people do not understand what chiropractic can do. I didn't understand that, to be quite honest. <laughs> I grew up that traditional medicine route. I went to school with the, with the son of the only Cairo in, the, uh, in my little hometown. His son is actually now running the practice, uh, his brother. But I didn't really know what they did, and uh, I, we never utilized that service. Today, I'm a passionate believer, Ray. You know that. I'm trying to help every way possible to get Kairos to change their mission statement, to get them involved in the healthcare communities, just like you mentioned. Absolutely. Dude, that's the way it's got to happen. I'm all for helping you make that mission come about because it's a business. They've got to include themselves in the healthcare profession, and they've got to train the doctors of the world that don't know what you do, what you do. Yeah. I even in developing a software where you can exchange the records just because the patient wants you to. The primary care can see what the chiro is doing. The, the chiro can see what the primary is doing, what the cardiologist, all of the caretakers in a patient's life. Dude, that's the way it needs to be done. So nothing's hitting. Nothing's in the shadows. Light comes to evidence. And I bet you're going to find that there are a lot more patients that will use you just because you got a primary care or somebody saying, these guys are good. These guys yeah. can help you. They can move you along the path better than I can as your primary care. Yeah. And, and I believe that today. I agree. Two things, Brad. Thank you for helping the profession realize that what, what we know up here and in our hearts and what we've seen in our practices is feeling and emotion and observation. It's on a whole nother level when it's data. Yep. Amen. You own your data. And you can say, we don't just think this. We don't just feel this. But here are the outcomes. Here's the data. That will get us further over the next 100 years than the first 125 years. As a matter of fact, it will get us there at more of a light speed or warp speed right. than anything and everything that we've done. Um, and, and, and I love the app that you're talking about building because, again, personal stuff, personal stories. So I was in Denver three weeks ago for the National Board and Federation of Chiropractic Licensing Boards, and I'm reeling my luggage out, and my heart starts beating out of my chest. I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here? Uh, I mean, for about four hours, Christy, who traveled with me, Doc, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. And I mean, wow. I thought I was having heart issues. So I get back home on that Monday, and literally, this is how it happened. I go see my primary care doc. In about thirty minutes, he's got me scheduled with a cardiologist. I put on a heart pay, I put on a heart monitor that I've worn for the last two weeks. I get scheduled for a treadmill, and literally before, from the time I got from my primary care to the to the uh, doctor Thorne, the cardiologist, he already had the records from my primary care. I get the heart monitor. He schedules me for the treadmill the next day. She's already got the records. I do the treadmill, and I'm getting on. And this was on Epic, and I'm getting on there. I said, damn, there's my treadmill test. There's my CT scan of my heart. There's my Doppler study. Literally, and every one of them are corresponding through their app. And it's just like, that's the way it should be. Well, it is. Where are the chiropractic notes? 
That's right. That's, <laughs> that, that was, we're working on that, right? Yeah, we're working I'm working on that. On that. Yeah. Uh, but, but think about if you were treating a patient, Ray, that was going through all of that, but they were still seeing you for musculoskeletal kind of things. Sure. Wouldn't it be important for you to be able to say, hey, I see you think you suffered a, an infarction here. Let's treat you a little different today. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, hey, by the way, I see your medication list include this and this. Maybe we need to back off on some of the aggressive therapy we're doing or some some aspect of that. Yeah. That was the key for me was, and it's a different kind of display. Jay's actually seen the prototype of it. It is a different way of looking at it, and I call it a healthcare life cycle because it involves every primary care. The Cures Act has opened where we can grab records from any payer, any hospital, any ER, any health information exchange system. We're now doing that for 59 hospitals in Texas and populating this tool with that. The next morning at 6 o'clock, they get complete analyzed records of their patients, their procedures. Now, we're doing some of that for UDS and HEDIS kind of reporting, but Cairo can be a big part of that. You know, as simple as a nap, pressing the button, and the patient be a part of that, Ray, that the patient sees the same thing. So they're part of that transparency cycle. And Uh, it's just... I will tell you that's absolutely what built my practice and opened the doors to so many MDs as I made it a point that every new patient I saw, by the way, who's your primary care doctor? We'd like to let him know what's going on with your care. And so I just, you know, I'm seeing your patient and then I do a two-week follow-up with Oswestry or, or neck disability index, and I and Jay, I could see a direct correlation. If I got my reports out on time, I got more referrals. You got new patients. If I wasn't getting yeah, referrals, the, the the notes out on time, mm-hmm. they started going to climb. Hmm, there might be a connection there. Communication. Yep. yep. Best, well, best practice building strategy. That's right. Let's skip forward forty years now, and in the last few years, the three of us, uh, really led by you, Ray, have gotten on a train of changing the chiropractic profession and looking forward to the future of it. I've been blessed because I'm one of those non-chiros that's been included at trying to make some of those changes and understand some of those changes. Uh, This was a strategic plan that I believe you were the biggest part of the initiative in doing about how do we look at what needs to be changed in this world. What can we do to get people on the train with us to move us forward, to do this kind of integration, to do these kind of things, to become part of the future of healthcare? Would you tell us a little bit about what that is, why you got vested in it, and why you invited all of us on the train? Well, first of all, uh, and, and I appreciate the kudos, but for 100% clarity, I am not the leader of this. I might have been the instigator of it. There we go. Uh, Jay and I actually were asked to moderate um, uh, a meeting for the Chiropractic Summit and then late the next day for the Cairo Congress. <clears throat> and what we did was we, we basically went through a SWOT analysis. What are our profession strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? And we broke up into work groups. And, I mean, everybody really put their, their, pat, their thinking hat on. <clears throat> we said, what is everything that we feel like is limiting us and what we can do in this profession. Well, it's income parity. It's, you know, having to play mother may I with a gatekeeper. So, I mean, we listed just short list was everything that pisses us off as a chiropractor. (laughs) That's the best way to describe it. 
And then we started dreaming a little bit. Well, what has happened since we've seen VAs in our chiropractors in the VAs? I started a VA program here, and it blew my practice up. I was getting referrals from students that were working under their mentor who saw it was normal to refer to a chiropractor. Well, what if we got more chiros in the VAs, got them in the military treatment facilities? What if in the middle of COVID, we found out that there was absolutely direct benefit of spinal manipulation related to autoimmune or to our immune systems? <coughs> well, we got to have research. Well, what if when we wanted to pass legislation like the Medicare Modernization Act, that we didn't have that burden solely on the ACA or the ICA or any CA, where's the hell is the rest of the profession? You know, um, so after concluding that workshop, we, we arrived at the conclusion that everything on that list could be addressed and solved if we truly had a national strategic plan, and here's the kicker, driven from the bottom up. I'm a lifelong ACA member, most recently ICA member, but the reality is our profession, in my humble opinion, I hope I don't offend anyone, <clears throat> but we've got to stop sitting on the sidelines. We have got to stop waiting on the ACA or the ICA or any CA. We all heard that saying, if it is to be, it's up to me. <clears throat> So fast forward, we had the exact same kind of meeting with the Cairo Congress, went through the exact exercise, and guess what the logical conclusion was? We've got to have a national strategic plan <coughs> that addresses parity, the data, the Cairo Tech Consortium that you guys do. We need a super PAC that isn't ACA, ICA, or NECA related. We're going to remain apolitical. <coughs> we have got to put money into research because, as I said earlier, Anecdotally and, and experience-wise, we know what works, but we've got to have rock-solid research. Uh, we've got to have public-facing messaging and internal messaging to the profession. So we, we pulled together a leadership team from those two groups. Um, I, I was part of the summit then, but I, I knew that the summit really didn't have the reach, the revenue, or the resources to be able to pull something like this off, or I didn't feel that it did. And I, I donated $50,000 just as seed money to try to help get the project up and go and see if it was going to be viable. <coughs> so long story bearable, bearable, I can say that, just not very well. So we sent out an RFP, or the Cairo Congress sent out an RFP for a company to help us put together a strategic plan. Well, we had three finalists, and those three finalists all had unique or uniques that we wanted. And... <clears throat> I think in one of the meetings I said, or maybe Jay said, why don't we hire them all three, see if they're willing to collaborate, because we like this piece of this one, the data gathering of this one, their experience in this area, and guess what? They agreed to work together. Now think about this. Your three competing companies, you're asked by a bunch of crazy chiros, hey, why don't you guys take off your competition hats and work together, and they said yes. Yeah, it's like unfreaking believable. And by the way, it was Chris Dow's idea. Just I want to set yeah. the record yeah. straight because Chris was the one. Chris brought it up. She's like, you know, in her sweet voice, like, why don't we just hire all three of them? Yeah. And there was like silence for a second, and people were like, Yeah, yeah. like let's ask. We, you know, yeah. we can ask. 
Yeah, so so apparently they had the conversation among them, and, and and from what I understand, those three entities are doing other work together now because oh, that's they've amazing. Got, they got strengths and weaknesses, and they realize uh, the opportunity. So anyway, we put together this, this amazing group of people. They sent out a survey to the profession. We had almost four thousand chiropractors spend probably a good forty-five minutes to an hour answering this survey about what they thought the future of chiropractic should look like. And just the data gathering, you, you talk about crunching the data and coming away with a pretty damn clear vision of, and again, I only mention ACA and ICA because those are the ones that have led us for so many years, and, and, and their ideas are certainly great ideas and they're things that we need to do, but when have we ever really listened to the rank and file, to our yeah. colleagues, to what's important to them? Because I, I will tell you, it's different. What we what we what we thought we would see and what we actually saw were two different things. And it is a very progressive plan. It is about moving the profession forward and into mainstream by making sure we've got data, we've got research, we've got public facing communications, we we have uh, a super PAC to get legislation moving. So out of that out of that effort uh, came the strategic plan. Uh, we worked for about a year and a half in and taking each one of those pillars that I just mentioned and putting together a vision, a three-year, a, fi a five-year, three-year, one-year, and we're following the traction model. Which anybody that knows any of us has heard us talk about that. Um, we literally just at this meeting here in Flowood, we agreed to run this entire program using the traction model. And what that tells me is it will succeed. Not it might, it will, because it's a proven method for running any kind of organization or any kind of effort. So um, the beautiful thing to me about this is when have 4,000 chiropractors done anything together? I mean, it, it's... Across the entire profession, it, by the way, like a wide range of chiropractors yeah, across the entire profession. We had, yeah. I mean, we, we had doctors that are in the VA medical centers, ones that are in, in spine centers like I am, mom and pop uh, chiropractors. We had them that are, are working for corporations. We had them that are in franchise. We got input from the college presidents, from uh, from the movers and shakers in the profession in the vendor world, from just about from every entity, from the national boards, from the Federation of Chiropractic Licensing Board. I have never seen- ICA members, I, ACA members, ICA no CA members, members yeah, all of absolutely. them. Absolutely. You know, the, the, it, and, and just to address the elephant room, People said, well, you know, you don't have representation there from the ACA. Their leadership's not on board with it. Well, the reality is if you look at the respondents, because we gathered the data, ACA was absolutely at the table in a big yep. way. <clears throat> um, and so it, it is, to me, the first time that I have seen such a broad collaboration among the profession. And and I, I did a little presentation when Jay and I started off, and I did a little bit of a, of a history lesson about what is it that brings diverse groups together? Only two things. An existential threat, which is what happened when we almost got left out of the Affordable Care Act, and then it happened when we had our Medicare documentation. We were about to lose Medicare, and we came together. That's what the Chiropractic Summit was all Summit. about originally. Yep. And yep. we solved it. The other thing that brings diverse people together is a big, hairy, audacious goal. And my goal going into this, it wasn't to develop the, uh, uh, a strategic plan and have all these pillars. I wanted one thing. I wanted to see the increased utilization of chiropractic in the United States because that one thing 
would solve so many other things. Well, while that might have been the vision of it, the reality is you cannot increase the utilization of chiropractic in the United States if you do not have a super PAC, have research, collect your data, have communications. I mean, you, you, you got to have those five pillars. <clears throat> so that's kind of how we got there. The organization is completely run by volunteers, to the, the two of you as well. Um, <clears throat> and... Man, j just in coming up with the professional identity statement, that took a long, long time. And there were a lot of strong personalities and opinions in that room. And then when we finally got to the statement, <laughs> it was like, holy freaking cow. We can have unity without uniformity. And that was a, a, a term that I shared with everyone there, talking about literally going back to I mean, ancient times when there were warring tribes and how and why they came together, and then over time how they learned to work together and realize they didn't all have to be the same. We don't all have to practice the same. And you absolutely, rather than focusing on what divides us, 99% of it we're united on. And so let, let's embrace the concept of unity without uniformity. And so just to show you how deep this goes, that message has got to start occurring in the chiropractic colleges. Uh, Jay, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but I remember early on in practice, I'd have a new patient come in. They say, "Well, my last chiropractor told told me to only see a Palmer grad." Well, why? Yep. I can adjust <laughs> because that, but because there was such a competition among the schools, and so now it's, "Well, do you want to go to a straight chiropractic college? Do you want to go to a Northwest? Do you want to go?" And and so I still think that some, not intentionally, maybe, but that is still an undercurrent within the profession, rather than realizing that. I look at this as an evolutionary process. Do you know that one time there were no specialties in medicine? Hmm. None. Did not know that. It evolved. Yeah, absolutely. So it evolved over time. You realize that in dentistry, there was first just the guy that pulled the teeth, and now there's cosmetic dentists, there's structural dentists, there's you know there certain uh, dental surgeons. There, I mean, that that's an evolution of a profession, and I think. That is one of the things that we will see happen over the next 10 to 20 years is if you want to practice structural chiropractic, that's a thing. It's a recognized specialty. You want to practice health and wellness, fine, go do that. That doesn't mean that you're not still a chiropractor. You just have a different focus. And we need to learn to collaborate as chiropractors. My expertise is, expertise is not in nutrition. Why don't I go send that patient down the road to a chiropractor colleague that I'm not afraid is going to steal my patient. That's crap. You know, yeah, does it happen? Yeah. But if we change our mindset, we begin to tap into other strengths and where we might have a little weakness or maybe we're good at something and they refer their tough cases to us. That's a maturing of a profession, and, and I think we're on the precipice of that. I agree completely. You know, communications is a big part of that, Ray. That's that was part of that piece when I developed that concept was you got to be able to exchange among yourselves, among the other professions, and you've got to be able to do it easily because doctors perceive that they do not have enough time during the day, and that carries us all the way back to the beginning of our conversation. Yep, no doubt. Yeah. Guys, it's been fun. This has been a longer episode, but I think it's been a very, very important awesome. episode. 
And Ray, before we leave, I want to be sure to say thank you for being a sponsor. You were the first uh, sponsor to come in and sponsor Tech Talk. Uh, we've enjoyed working with Christy, and we've had her on. It was a great episode also. We enjoy your continued pieces of that, and your comments like today I think are valuable. I, I don't even think the word valuable is strong enough, but <laughs> they're, they're serious about changing the world, changing the profession, and moving it forward and getting everybody on that train, brother. Listen, from uh, my co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein, I'm Brad Cost. Have a good day. See y'all. Listen to the future of healthcare. With the data jocks of talk, it's Tech Talk.